Hey everybody, this is Steven here and welcome back to the Where the Map Turned Blue podcast. I'm here with uh, Joey Kintail and also my best friend, Luke Lewis, who I am stoked to have on the podcast. To give you guys a little background, Luke and I have known each other for probably over 10 years now, which yeah. is, there's definitely a... Uh, a lot of inside jokes, probably a lot of things that we've been through out fishing. But uh, Luke, go ahead and just introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from, what you do for work. Um, tell us about your family a little bit. Yeah, sounds good. So, hey, Luke Lewis here, uh, born and raised in Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, spent my whole life there until uh, that's where. Well, let me. That's where I met my wife. Uh, we went to school there. That's where we met, and we got our life started. After we got married, we came here. Uh, we landed here. Uh, it's a long story, but it's definitely, uh, it was without a question, you know, without a doubt, this is where we were meant to be. It's where we landed. And we've been living here in Santa Rosa Beach for 15 years. Uh, I work for the local uh, fire department, South Walton Fire District. Uh, I work a really great schedule. So now I work two days on, it's 48 hours on. Then I get 96 hours or four days off. We've got a family, uh, five, got three, three kids. We're busy, <laughs> but uh so let's just talk about this fire schedule for a little bit because we have gone from being what was i think it was 40 or 24 on 24 on 48 off 48 off so like you had to fit every one of your fishing trip within a 48 hour window what what was that like trying to get ready for a trip but also working the day before it was exhausting (laughs) uh you know as y'all know anything we do you know i I take very seriously. I know y'all are the same way. You know, if I'm going to give it a hundred percent. So the preparation for a big trip is, is huge. Like that's where, that's kind of make or break, you know, how well you prepare, getting all your stuff squared away. So I would have to prepare for a big trip before I went to work, uh, the day before. And that's where the, you know, the meat and potatoes all came together. And then I'd go to work I usually come home tired. And that was like, that day off work was the big scramble to really tighten up any loose ends. Then, uh, you know, I'd wake up typically 4 a.m. or earlier. We'd sometimes, you know, we'd be at the ramp at four o'clock in the morning. We'd be, we'd be rolling out uh, in darkness to get to the sword grounds or wherever we were gonna fish that day. Come back when this, you know, the sun's going down Then you've got a boat to clean, gear to put away, uh, fish to clean, knowing that I was gonna be gone for the full next 24 hours. So you couldn't leave anything for the next day it had to get done so i would burn the candle from both ends to fish every time and it it took a toll but it was it was definitely worth it yeah i can always remember i mean just to give you that background luke and i have fished probably we've probably forgotten about more trips now than we remember but um when we started 10 years ago then luke would come out on the boat i didn't even know that he was doing these things before a trip you know he was going to work for 24 hours. And then immediately we're sitting at the dock, like he would be there 6 a.m. ready to hop on the boat. And you wouldn't even know that he just pulled an all nighter chasing phone call <laughs> like the entire day. He's like, oh, there might've been a major wreck. There might've been, you know, some a guy had to go to the hospital, but Luke was like ready to go the moment he hit the dock. And, and that that's something I've always admired about him. And have, have there been any trips where you're like, man, I think I'm exhausted and like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to like stay awake this whole time. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. But yeah, just power through and uh, you know, Hey, I'll suffer later and just make it work. Right. Yeah. Uh, So 
Tell us your story about how we met in your own words. All right, I can summarize that. So uh, this, there's actually a little bit of a backstory to kind of help lead into how we met. So um, I was relatively new into the blue water fishing game. You know, to re- really, that was, I hadn't been into it very long before we met, but I'd gone on a big trip uh, on my uncle's boat with some guys that I still fish with to this day. It was really the best and the, the, the first like really successful blue water trip I'd been on. It was an overnight trip. I had a little experience, but was still, you know, we're always figuring stuff out even to this day, right? But I was really starting to figure out a lot of things, kind of putting big puzzle pieces together then. But we had a highly successful trip. I caught my first swordfish on that trip. It was an overnight trip. It was a night fish. Uh, We caught a sailfish the next day trolling. The mahi bite was on fire. Incredible trip, right? And my role on that trip was just, hey, come along. And I had a GoPro. So I made a really cool uh, edit of that trip on video and I posted it on, uh, it was the Pensacola fishing forum. So like, you know, for those listening that aren't in the area, it's, it's a local forum kind of for the Gulf coast. And Steven, you had seen that video. Y'all had just had a recent tuna trip. I think you lost like a incredible fish, uh, had a new boat and y'all were still figuring out some of those big puzzle pieces as well. Well, uh, a mutual friend kind of put us together. You saw the video. Hey, who's this guy? And then our mutual friend, oh, yeah, I know that guy. We've been fishing together. So I got invited. I didn't even know you, you know. So essentially we did. We met on the Internet on a forum. But uh, and that's <laughs> just kind of how. Bits. Yeah, that's right. It's, you know, that's kind of how the fishing world works. And the ladies are like, man, y'all are crazy. Like, you're taking this guy on a boat you've never met for two days. Like, yeah, yeah, we're going. <laughs> that's, what's wrong with that? <laughs> so that's how we met. I think, you know, we, I went on that trip and. Um, it was teamwork at its finest. You know, we were all still learning big, uh, big stuff, but through that team, you know, between me and you and your dad and Harris, and uh, we had a very successful trip. And that was kind of the start of that deep friendship that just snowballed from there. Yeah. And I, I remember when we were putting together this offshore trip, my dad had, had finally bought a boat that was seaworthy to make very, very long runs. What boat was that, Stephen? That was the Invincible. The 39. It was a 42. 42. With triples? With triple 350s. When Yamaha 350s were kind of the new thing, but nobody knew the the danger behind them. (laughs) Um, And I, I still remember having that itch. There really was a deep itch to offshore fish. And it started when we had a contender... We went to the spur, and my dad and I, we caught a swordfish. And obviously, like, once you've caught a swordfish, you're like, I got to go to the rigs. Yeah. And my dad decided, like, hey, you know what? We're going to get a more capable boat uh, that can make those long trips. And we had then convinced him to go to the rig. This was right before I had met Luke. And we, like Lucas said, we lost two really big fish just to being green. And I would say there's probably a lot of people out there who have spent so much time going fishing and they've lost so many fish and that is just how you learn and I needed to get some people on the boat that I could learn from and that could learn with me and so that's when uh we started you know I was on the fishing forum probably every day oh yeah (laughs) this was back in the day I mean this was really before Facebook had its prominence you know so we were going to the forum to learn, to um, to meet people, 
And, and that's when Luke came out on the boat that day. And we, we ended up having a very successful trip, but also I found somebody who had that same uh, itch as I did to learn more about fishing, to really try to dive into detail. And Luke and I were like, all right, we're, we're going to figure this thing out. That's right. And, and then we just started to grow our relationship. And like a funny story I like to tell is that like, I didn't even know Luke was married. <laughs> until about like you know i think it was a year about a year or two in after we met luke like texted me one day he's like hey you want to go grab lunch and i'm like sure it's just like two dudes having lunch and then he drops a like my wife bomb <laughs> and I, i'm like minor detail i was like you you're married you about a wife <laughs> um but i still remember that to this day but luke you know, when we were on that trip with Harris, what what was like going through your mind? Like, I mean, you, you just met a random guy, his dad. You were on the boat with Harris. I think it was just the four of us. I think it was. Uh, uh, there was one other guy, Mr. Uh, Jim McDowell, I think. <laughs> Jim McDowell. He was a, uh, he brought his electric reel. Oh, it actually wasn't electric. He bought his old spinning rod. Remember, it broke yeah, I, I, he brought two rods and reels. One was an old, like, just worn out pin, uh, international. Uh, the drag washers were, you know, shot. Uh, this thing had seen better days. And I, I caught one, like, 20-pound tuna on it and was like, nope, that, nope, we put that over there. That's done. <laughs> that was the hardest 20-pound tuna I think I've ever caught. <laughs> I, I just remember Jim, like, continuing to cast, like, he he could only catch probably 25 yards off the boat. And we're at the rig, you know, tuners are jumping everywhere. He's just having the time of his life at the front, you know, throwing this. And then he, he hooked one. And the reel just did not want... No. I think Luke's hand was the drag. He just held it <laughs> the whole entire... The drag the entire time. Yeah, because I think Jim hooked it. and It wasn't very long after he, he passed the rod off. He's like, no. <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah. So anybody out there that wants to bring your old rods on the boat, just just leave them at home. Like, it's it's not it's not worth the headaches. True that. I I kind of got a question for both of y'all. Like I I know that both of y'all really got into the offshore fishing together and went through a lot of the same learning processes. And what was what was that first fish where y'all were like, I've got to dial this in. Like I need to be able to be consistent with this. Yeah, it was definitely swordfish. I think for both of us, we had a passion. It actually started with Luke, and daytime sword fishing was becoming the the new thing to do in the Gulf. Obviously, it was popular down in South Florida. We had a, a handful of guys trying to do it up here, but it it didn't have the same allure, the same uh, popularity as it had today. Uh, and I I just remember Luke. And I would send each other like details. I mean, we would watch the booby trap videos. Yeah, those guys were huge. And but it wasn't just watching the booby trap videos. I think we were. I mean, it was like an analyzation of, hey, we missed a sentence. It was one hundred percent that. And here, let me back up because you nailed it. So this was in the beginning for us in the Gulf. Like there was a few guys that were already good at it, but those guys, and you know, we all know who they are. They were very hush-hush, rightfully so, because they had figured it out mm-hmm. uh, on their own. 
uh, I'd say it's, it's uh, daytime sword fishing. It's very technical, right? But there's so much information out now that if you want to get good at it, you can you can figure it out pretty you know pretty quick. Uh, it's still tough. I'm not making light of it, but there's a lot of information out there that you can just you know come across if you're looking. Uh, For sure. That information was not there when. Uh, we were starting to try to figure this out. So it was a grind and it was just the deep, just nerding out right on these, these guys that were so good, just analyzing every detail, slow, you know, rewind, watch it again, rewind, watch it again, you know, stuff that, Oh wait, did you see that laying there? Like go back, like look at that on the table. Like it's blurry, but I think that's, you know, is that a rattle? Right. Like (laughs) just all these, you know, just really trying to figure it out. And, going back to what you mentioned you know a lot of guys lose fish to being green gosh i lost a lot of swordfish at the boat um just due to those little details you know we didn't hook them right we didn't do this we didn't do that and like it was so exciting for on one hand because like we'd figured out how to get them like hooked and yeah we know how to we can find them and but then to lose them was just it was just a gut punch yeah we would go out there and it it if you look at the spur as a whole, which is in, in the Gulf, it's probably 55, 60 miles straight south of Destin. And it's a, it's a very wide range of area. So on, on the East Coast, you're drifting pretty fast. So you're, you're, you're covering a lot of ground on the East Coast. But in the, uh, in the Gulf, you're not really covering that exact same amount of ground. So you've got to be in a specific area. And... Luke and I definitely poured over uh, bathymetric charts. This was before we had ever, uh, like, I mean, before Seymour. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I remember fishing one time with Luke. He's, you know, pinpointing some spots, right? And, and he goes, hey, this is where we want to go. And this is on a very, very blurry bathymetric chart. I think that was Google Earth, like, zoomed all the way in. Like, that's, that's where this was at. That's... Strike line, you know, Seymour, uh, you know, the Garmin 3D vision, like none of that was for sure a thing. It was like you had to talk to either old salts or (laughs) figure out, you know, Google Earth, like, oh, wait, it pinched all the way in, like super blurry, (laughs) but look at that. That looks like something. That's that's how we were figuring it out. And we got out there and we're we're at this spot that Luke had marked on Google Earth. And (laughs) it's kind of funny, but like, as short fishermen, you're out there to like, you see the other short fishermen out there and you go, ha I think we found it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> like, those guys are here. We're here. Boom. We've, we've, we've unlocked another level of like, this is, this is where we need to be. For sure. And it's not just one spot, but at the time, like, you know, we were searching, like we didn't know where to start. So it's, you know, to that point, it's, it's, we've got spots, but it's different than South Florida. And they've got those big pinnacles and they've got fast current and, we don't. So yeah, you you're gonna be sitting there a while without a bite if you're not in the right area. So yeah, definitely. And, and we went there and, and we're so we're sitting there and I remember this trip we were on uh on Luke's boat and we were probably a few hundred yards away from the rest of the boat. But we ended up getting a couple of bites. And the problem was is it wasn't getting the bites now and then it was trying to figure out like, hey, how do we get these hooks to stick? And I I can't tell you how many times I like when you go out there and you see the right people, like the people who have done it before, 
and they see that you're out there putting in the time and the effort and the energy to do it, tend, they tend to throw you a little like crumb every now and then and say, hey, actually, here's something you should try a little different. Um, and eventually we started hooking fit. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say what, after we started hooking fish, I think the biggest problem was like getting them in the boat. Oh, 100%. Yeah, setting the hook and yeah, you make it. You know, I learned early on like you you want to set it and either pull the hook right out of the gate, or you know we're gonna set the hook, drive it home, and it's not coming out. Yeah. Like it's for that sure. fish is hooked, or yeah, let's just get this over with and not fight this thing for an hour and then see it at the surface and get excited and then and yeah. then blow it because the hook just falls out because it wasn't ever really tight. It wouldn't, sure. it wouldn't set. So that was big. That was you know talking to those guys. If you knew enough that, and they, you know, those guys would see you out there, uh, and then you'd talk to them here and there at the local sandbar on a Sunday with the family, and oh yeah, hey, hey, you know, I've seen you out there. Oh, I know who you are, you know. And then you start talking, and like, hey, this, you know, they're not, they're not just spoon feeding you information. It's like they, this, these guys know what they're talking about, but they're still trying to figure out. Like they, that's that's that community, you know. For going sure. back to those forums where, you know, some of those forums have such good information, and for the most part, the guys that are genuine, the guys that are the most knowledgeable, a lot of times are the most, they're the most eager to share, to help. And again, I'm not meaning spoon feeding, but to see somebody who's grinding, to see somebody who's working, to see somebody who's giving it a hundred percent, like, Hey, that's, that's attractive to other people who, who grind. For sure. Um, to me it is. So it's, there's a lot of guys that want to, want to help when they see your, you're you're trying to get dialed in and you're giving it everything you got so that's no doubt that's cool yeah. and and for me personally i i probably said this on the podcast before but it's so cool to see people go out there and try on their own and 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 fail at it and, and it's nothing against you know someone who's you know, hired a captain or somebody who's learned from being a mate or, or whatever there's really nothing against that at all but it's really cool to see, like, hey, this guy, and it was me. Like, I was going out there with clean eyes, and I probably came in. I think Luke and I got to the point where we should have said, hey, we're not taking the tilefish rods anymore. I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a backup for so long. Like, hey, if we don't catch a sword, we'll just deep drop and get some groceries on the way home. Yeah. And then it was like, no. Yeah, we're then, either going to catch one or we're not. Then you realize, spend that extra hour, two hours, rather than go deep drop, you're going to get bit eventually. That's it. Like clean, We're coming back with clean ice or we're going to have a swordfish in the box. Yeah. So that that was something that, for us, it was, it was hey, we're dedicated to this. And I, I love seeing guys go out there, even Joe... Uh, I think it was the first. Yeah. I think it was the first summer. Just, just for note, yeah, the first summer I was here sword fishing, like, like really, like got, I, I caught my first swordfish and I got absolutely hooked, and uh, I, I was really into night timing. I was a little bit into the day timing, but my first season I went one for twenty four. I pulled hook on twenty four fish, yeah. and. Uh, it was very, very frustrating. <laughs> I started to lose hope. Like I, I mean, so many trips where I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go again. Yeah. And then I went to bed and woke up and went, let's go swordfish. It's <laughs> a love hate. Like that purple fever is real. For sure, for sure. But um, I mean, 
if I were to say one thing, definitely look into drags. I think I lost so many fish due to how how little drag I had on the fish yeah. when it came to daytime. Like Luke was saying, yeah, I mean, those hooks will literally just pop out. You go to take the weight off and you're tight, you're tight, you're tight, and there he goes. <laughs> yeah. Rough. But, you, man, it's definitely a tough thing to do, but once you get it dialed in, it's fun. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And we... Uh, and going out there for me, like once we got it, I remember the trip that uh, we had two dropped, and we caught two fish. It was on the it was on the yellow pin. Yeah. I think we looked at our watch and it was close to noon, and we had just gotten out there about nine eight nine o'clock. So it was two drops, two fish, and Luke and I looked at each other like, "Did we just figure this thing out?" <laughs> I don't know if that was just a, a one-off trip or just like, was it, I was like, but I felt like at that moment I said, Hey, okay, we got this. Yeah. That was huge. That was huge. That was, you know, we'd caught a bunch of single fish at that point and that was exciting. That was huge. But then it's like, well, man, look, look at these other guys. Like they still are doing something different. Like they're, we, we, we've got it figured out, but we don't have it figured out. Like not yeah. all the way. We, we need to take it to the next level. And these, these guys were bringing home, you know, a couple fish. They were very respectful of the fishery. They were doing a lot of releases, but it's like, man, these guys are catching multiple fish in one trip. Uh, I'm thankful for our one here and there, but like to, to, to come back with uh, two, two bills hanging out of the bucket and, uh, you know, two slabs of uh, <laughs> sword body cavities that we, you know, prepared sitting, sitting on ice out there. Uh, that was a good feeling coming home. Beers were flowing. <laughs> they were. I think we even put, I, I know for a fact, so I've got a picture of it, but... I was so proud to roll through the harbor, uh, and I had that bucket sitting up on the bow where everyone could see those those, uh, those sword bills crossed, you know, hanging out of the buckets. Like, yeah, we got we got two, we got <laughs> we did it. That was that was a big trip. It really was, and I, I know for me, I I think my focus like pivoted after that, but not not because I didn't have a respect for the fishery, but you, I love figuring something out to the point of being successful. And then I want, like, I have other fish that, like, I really, really, really want to figure out. And swordfish became, like, it was like, all right, cool, we, I understand this. But to be honest, like, unless you're going every week or every weekend, it's really hard to figure out, hey, where are these fish? Like, how am I going to dial in, like, where these swords are hanging out. I'm sure, Joe, you've probably experienced that as well. No doubt. I mean, it definitely helps to have people do it all the time. Uh, I've got good buddies of mine that commercial swordfish all the time, and I'm lucky enough to be able to go with them and get knowledge from them, and I really uh, really appreciate that from them. But uh, it's always fun, too, going out there and uh, seeing your buddies. They're running charters, doing whatever, and you kill one right in front of them they kill one right in front of you whatever happens but it's always fun when you get back to the dock and give them a little jab you see that one i caught right there <laughs> yeah that's cool it's definitely a good time but and then luke so to pivot away from sword fishing here you've had a, a very successful tournament season this past summer um being i mean i would consider you a maid I would say well weathered mate on the bird dog and, and on an invited guest as well, which is awesome. They had some insane success. Like yeah. 
Well, can you give us a story about just ECBC? And I want to hear the one when the sea keeper went out at night. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> so that tie that, so that, that invite and that story kind of ties back to that very first uh, successful blue water trip I was talking about where uh, I was on my uncle's boat and these, these guys that grew up fishing, they're local. They've been fishing their whole lives. They had a, a sport fish when they were young. Uh, these guys are salty and, that's who I went on that first big successful trip with, learned a lot. I like, mean, these guys, they know what they're doing. I looked up to them a lot. Well, fast forward to now, you know, one of those guys now owns uh, a, a, a very nice, you know, sport fish, bird dog, uh, newly purchased. That was a new new boat, not his first sport fish, but first, uh, first you know, high end, like, man, this is, this is a fine machine. So that was a new season for that boat. And we'd fished together here and there since – you know, since that first initial trip, but, you know, I'd gotten on some different boats and, uh, he was a, he was a hired mate, you know, very well-respected mate in the area long before he bought a boat. So he was a for hire, uh, mate for a lot of these big tournaments. And we, I wouldn't say we went separate ways, but our paths kind of went different ways for years. You know, he was doing his thing. I was doing my thing. We were still, we were still friends and talking, but you know, our paths kind of came back in a line this year. We'd spoke last year during the tournament season and uh he'd, he'd kind of mentioned hey uh we'd like to see what you're up to next year and i was like yeah I'd go ahead and just count me in like this is this is gonna i think this will be great so yeah we linked up got an incredible invite to go fish with these guys some incredible talent uh you know from the boat owner being uh one of my good buddies luke uh his name's also luke he knows you know he was the guy that's that was a hired mate for years and now he's the boat owner. So a very unique situation. You know, most boat owners just want to sit back and watch the crew do the work. Like, now this dude loves to fish. Like, he is fishy. And he loves to be in the cockpit. He can do, you know, it's, he's very well seasoned because he loves it. He's, he's one of us. You know, he's enthralled by success and the details. So, uh, and then the captain and uh, he had another hired, he had a hired mate on the boat. Uh, everybody, it was just, it was the best dynamic I think I've ever felt for, for a tournament boat. Cause it's, those things can, you know, there's a lot of money on the line, a lot of stress, a lot of just, they can be, they can almost be not fun if you're not with the right group. So, um, yeah, we had a, we had a really good first trip at ECBC, uh, had a, we went out to Wahoo fish and that's, that's what we knew we were going to do. We weren't even going to try to Marlin fish like, Hey, we're going to Wahoo fish. And, uh, I think we caught 13, um, in two days. And one of them was like a 71 pounder. If I could recall, it, it took first place in the tournament. So that was, that was really neat to stand up there at that podium with, uh, to not only hang a fine fish, but, to, to stand up there in a world-class tournament and like, yeah, this hometown too. hometown backyard, like first place Wahoo. Like that was cool. That was really cool. And, uh, and a happy Gilmore check. And a happy Gilmore check to go with it. <laughs> and it was extremely rough. Oh, yeah. Minor detail. Minor detail. <laughs> but I can uh, I can remember when we were talking about the, the tournament, you're like, hey, we're going to go Wahoo fish. And it's a blue marlin tournament. But the reality was it was rough as snot for this tournament. And I, I I remember Luke being like, yeah, but we're on a Cadillac. Yes. Yeah, so that boat rode like a dream. Yeah. Everyone's getting smoked heading out, you know. 65 just, Richie Howell? Richie Howell, oh, yeah. Awesome. Great um, boat. Carolina. Yeah. Rode 
best riding boat I've ever been on. Uh, I mean, I'm, it, I'm not just saying that because oh, I was I was invited to go on that boat. Like it, it was it was incredible. Uh, and it had two sea keepers who were like, oh man, we're gonna be we're gonna be set. Well, it was super rough. You know, we got finally out fishing and we're getting sloshed around, but not bad. We're looking at the other boats and they're they're getting just crushed and we're we're pretty comfortable. It's rough, but comfortable ish comparatively speaking to everybody else uh, well not everybody you know there's other boats out there with the same equipment but that night uh, i don't know if it was one of the generators trip that was that was powering the sea keeper something went wrong i don't know but it was too rough to go down there and investigate it was dark so we um slept in quotation marks uh, we did we, we rested all night but we uh it was it was rough um we got the sea keepers going again the next day and and life was good yeah. I, I just imagine because I was getting a, a routine updates from the event and I just can see this video of a squall coming through and they're just powering through the squall but it didn't look like the back deck was really you know it's, it's not topsy-turvy I mean that back deck was staying pretty solid even though yeah. oh wait that was a six footer that just went by yeah, so when we tried to get some footage, you know, just we're having fun out there, and every time we tried to film, like it didn't do it any justice. Um, but the boat was, yeah, it was, it was riding like a dream, and we we were just we were just powering through and still fishing the whole time and smiling. You know, we were having fun. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And you touched base on like the crew itself and how having somebody who was a sport fishing mate hired mate for a while now owns the boat like what did your crew look like and what what made it so different from the other ones you've been on oh what a great question uh, so the crew was top notch uh, from the captain uh, to the owner to uh, a couple uh, so he, he brought his boys teenage boys uh, they, they fish a lot they were primarily the anglers and uh, they were just a blast uh, so the dynamic was it wasn't a huge crew um, but it was the right crew and the dynamic is something that I, I don't think I've ever really experienced in that tournament setting. It was, everybody was there to give 110%, but it was just like such a chill, like just the vibe was, it was, it was incredible. It was not stressful. It was fun. Like, and it wasn't like we were out there just wiling out and partying. Uh, it was, no, we weren't partying. We were fishing and we were having fun doing it and everything was clicking. Everybody Everybody kind of knew their role, knew their job, but at the same time, you know, with a crew like that, if you see something that needs to be done, that's maybe not your quote unquote job. Like you just kind of swerve over and make that happen. And everybody was just looking out for, everybody knew what needed to get done and it was getting done. And the vibe was just epic. It was so fun. And it, it wasn't just ECBC though. Like you guys had to set in yeah, Bay that, Point. at Bay Point. Yeah. And the, the same crew, same crew, hung a marlin at the Blue Marlin Grant. Am I right? That's right. Yeah. So what what was Bay Point like? I mean, now we went from ECBC, which was, um, I would say, rough, rough, and you guys were catching a lot of fish. Yeah. But I believe Bay Point was quite a bit slower. So so the weather starting. So Bay Point was an incredible tournament. You know, for those not that aren't aware. This was one of the major billfish tournaments in this Gulf Coast for years, and then it, it went away. Uh, and they brought it back, and they did it right. It was huge. It was very well run. 
uh, it was really a pleasure. But going into that tournament, you know, it was, I think there was a week gap. I don't even know. It was, we just rolled right into it. Um, so we, we had our flow, we had our rhythm, rolled right into it. The weather was beautiful. Fishing was a little slower, yeah. Um, but uh, the weather was, was, was perfect, totally different. So there was a lot of boats too. A lot of the boats that wouldn't normally fish uh, were out there and that's fun too. Um, successful. I, we had a first place tuna in that tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty special. Tell us a little bit, bit about that tuna. That was an open water tuna, right? Open water. That's yeah, we, so we were we were wahoo fishing again. We had Calcutta's and wahoo and dolphin. Uh, we had some. We had a decent wahoo in the box, but we knew it wasn't like the fish. And uh, we were had a, had a lot of fish in the box. Had a lot of fun. And it was towards the end of the last day. We were out there open water, totally not tuna fishing. Switched up uh, the spread a little bit, and just crash. You know, it was uh, it was on the, the shotgun. It was behind a bird. It was a ballyhoo uh, behind a bird, like on the way way back, and just got clobbered. Uh, we didn't know what it was for a minute. The captain knew. I, that's credit to you know guys that have experience. And I, I talked about that captain. We didn't know what fish we had. We just knew it was big and it was it was sounding and it was it was angry. And captain like the captain, he's like, "That's a tuna." And there was you know some some question. I wouldn't say controversy. There was no controversy. There was question like, "Well, are you sure?" I might have saw this, and he's like, "No, I'm I'm not looking at the fish. I'm looking at the rod tip. That's a tuna." And I I never forget that. That was cool. Uh, BJ. Yeah, BJ, BJ teams. He's on it. <laughs> I'm not looking at the fish, brother. I'm looking at that rod tip, and that's a tuna. That's awesome. And it was a tuna. Old yeah. Charlie was there. He was big. That's cool to have that insight as a captain. You say, I mean, it's one of those if you know, you know things, and he's so dialed in. How did that affect, like, how y'all fought that fish, knowing that he was pretty confident and with 100% certainty that it's a tuna? Uh, I don't know that, I mean... The drag was where, you know, we, we had it on, on strike, so we weren't, we had plenty of time, so we weren't really, I was putting the heat on it, I can tell you that, um, you know, per, we were all, you know, making sure everybody was good with that, but uh, drag was up at, at strike, and I was just putting the heat on it, so I got in the chair, I wasn't really, I was getting in the in the chair here and there when they, uh, when the boys weren't uh, ready to rock, and there was, it was kind of a slow point in the afternoon, so they were, I don't know, I think they were inside, but when that fish hit, it was, you know, get in the chair. It was some, some immediately go to action. So I slid right in. And so I was actually in the chair for that fish and uh, just put the heat on it. And, uh, yeah, we just played the played the long game. That fish, oh, man, it was green when uh, when he got on the wire. And uh, that was our – so our mate, Mason, he, uh, he, I, he had never wired a big tuna like that. And uh, – so – uh, props to to Luke, the boat owner. Like Luke's wired a lot of big fish, and as we all know, wiring's a lot of fun. Like very coveted spot, and I know Luke wanted to wire that fish. I mean, who wouldn't? That was that was a good fish. First but, place tuna in Bay Point yeah. on the first year back. Yeah, that's yeah. A, but he didn't. You know, Luke didn't wire the fish. He let hey, you, awesome. know, Mate, you know, Mason had been working his tail off all summer and on these trips and tournaments. So it's like that was his fish to wire and. Props to a cool boat owner that, you know, Luke knew he could do it. He wanted to do it, but he didn't. He stepped back and he, he let Mason wire the fish. That was, 
and Mason, oh man, it was a battle. Talk about hand-to-hand combat. Like that fish, he was still green. And <laughs> it was a battle. But What pound it, leader did he bite? Golly, that's a great question. Um, I don't even know. 250. Okay, uh, so some thicker yeah, stuff. Oh, no, it we, wasn't like 100, 120 no, pounds. No, we could, put, you know, we could, we could yeah. put the pressure on it. I think we had changed up the spread a little bit, so we were still kind of wahoo fishing, but... Yeah. Um, we weren't, you know, it wasn't like 80 pound fluoro. Yeah, it was for sure. It was still like, hey, we'll put some heat. We'll on put them. some heat on it, and like we still had tackle that was capable of, of big fish. That was, yeah, yeah, it's a good question. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And you know, uh, speaking of tunas, Luke and I also were on a trip where we hooked a uh, giant bluefin tuna, and obviously, we will, we will talk about it until the day we die because it was it was just epic. But I want Luke to give his recollection of the events that happened that day. Man, what a trip. Uh, so, yeah, we had a, had a great bunch of dudes on the boat. I think there was five of us. Uh, actually, I know there was five of us. Uh, we were going to, to Yellowfin Tuna Fish at the Rigs uh, Spring, and weather was good. And we roll out to the first rig of uh, choice. I think it was Appomattox. It did a couple laps nobody was home and uh we're like okay and we were going to run over to the the next closest rig i think it was a couple miles away it was that proteus was over there yeah. and, and okay. it's still wandering around appomattox but for some reason it was like very close yeah i think it was like two miles yeah maybe maybe, maybe more than that but it wasn't uh-huh. far no not at all and we were about to pick up and, and just run over there and we had that discussion it's like well hey uh like it's just it's just right over there we got plenty of time like why don't we just why don't we just troll open water from here to there and just see what happens and mm-hmm. that was a discussion i was like yeah cool all right and i was like man i've seen some big open water fish get caught like why not and you were like yeah absolutely let's do it so uh i think maybe 20 30 minutes go by and we we caught a pair of uh, mahi <laughs> uh not bad fish we're like okay cool like yeah good spirit we got we got some decent fish in the boat like we just started fishing like we had we had not been out there long no and, th- and this was an overnight trip and i would say because when you go on these overnight trips if it's slick calm and you're in a center console from destin i mean you're getting out there pretty early and i would say depending on the time of the year the bite's really not until the end of the day like yeah there's a last like magic hour so we're we're enjoying ourselves, you know, just have two mahi in the box. <laughs> we're, we're flying high right now. Yeah, and so that's kind of a minor detail that's worth noting. Like, we were in a 36-foot yellowfin, and it's early in the day. The Gulf's slick. Like, we could race around. We could go wherever we wanted. We had fuel. Um, we, so we could we could have raced around until we found the fish and started getting on the fish early. But So that was that was a real factor. And it's like, well, hey, let's just pump the brakes. Let's just... Let's just slow roll over there and see what happens. So, yeah, we did. And two mahi pretty quick. And then a little bit after, <laughs> the, the kabloom. Like, <laughs> just a marlin lure um, on the flat line, you know, closest to the boat, uh, just got crushed. And I didn't see the fish come out of the water. Some, some did. Uh, I saw the, just the splash, you know, that went to the moon. Like there was a hole in the water from a behemoth that had just come out and it was said to be a tuna. And then as the fight went on and on and on, it was like, then we started questioning like, well, maybe this is a Marlin, maybe it died. 
Uh, it was a five-hour fight, you know, uh, I'll fast forward this story, um, but it took every one of us teamwork. You know, we all switched it. We were fighting it in stand-up gear. We were on a 50-wide. So this is a giant bluefin tuna. Yeah, I just want to reiterate, like this is a this is almost a 700-pound fish on a 50-wide. Nah, you know, we're not talking 130s and broomsticks. This is <laughs> this is stand-up gear. I, I can, uh, I remember the uh, rod tip actually... Um, bending, I, I believe I'm staring at it right now. It's in, it's in here. It's one of those rods. I didn't mark it. It twisted. It, yeah. The blank twisted. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, like, what have we done? <laughs> like, I, like, just a fish it, itself. We're in stand up here. We actually did not have a uh, a bent butt on the rod, so like we could we couldn't put it in the gunnel bend the butt and, and, and let it like uh-uh. do its time. So we are, uh, I think it died like what, 45 minutes in. Yeah. And at the time we didn't, you know, it took us a minute to figure out that it died. Um, cause we had the drag maxed out and it was still just meat missling down. Yeah. Like it's, it's a 670 pound fish sinking. So it took us a minute. Like, it's not like, Oh, it's, it's definitely dead. We knew it's not like we knew the second it died. Um, but we figured it out pretty quick, and then we had to put put the heat on it. But yeah. we had tackle that wasn't made for putting that kind of heat on it, so it was a definite. It was finesse, and it was really cool because it. There were so many things that could have gone wrong. I say this a lot. There were so many things that could have gone wrong, but having that team, having that crew that was all seasoned, and it just was a very seamless and flawless process. Uh, there was a lot of luck involved too, but. You don't land a fish like that uh, with all luck. So I do want to give credit to the just the guys that were on the boat that day. It was it was special. We I mean we had uh, so on the fifty white itself there was sixty five pound braid which was on the back and then eighty pound mono top shot probably two to three hundred yards. So I mean the reel was loaded up. It had a lot of line, but the line wasn't the strongest line that you could possibly find. Right. And I remember, so as like we got the bite and we started fighting it, uh, one of our really close friends, Jason, was in the harness at first. And then we realized, okay, like, this isn't just a, like a one-person fish. And I credit the guys, too, because nobody had an ego on this trip, like, at all. It was, like, zero ego. We were taking that rod and saying, like, hey, you know what? I'm tired. Like, I mean, some of us are in really good shape and obviously you guys can't see Luke, but if you go look at his Instagram page, he is a beast. Okay. I mean, this, Jacked. <laughs> and then you also got, J- uh, got Jason, who's a, a CrossFit guy. And Jesse. Uh, and then Jesse's a triathlete. I mean, I would say he's, he did ultra marathon, um, Kevin Ironman. And then you had me and a guy named Blake, which, we were, uh, we were, we were the two, uh, outliers, but even though we, if we got tired, like we switched, like yeah. we switched the rod off just yeah. because there wasn't anybody on the boat that said like, wow, I, um, like I gotta be on this fit. Yeah. And we, when we hooked it, uh, I still remember the moment, like it was, it was sounding, Luke was on the rod. I'm standing like right next to Luke and a, a blue Marlin. Oh, I almost forgot about that. Dude, a blue marlin, a free-swimming blue marlin swam by the boat. And keep in mind, it's like less than a foot, and we're in blue water, so it 
it wasn't like that kind of that might be a blue marlin. No, this was a lit up blue marlin coming to check out what's going on. And we like we almost got sidetracked because it was such a beautiful thing to see with your own like eyeballs. Um, sure. You know, like it's one thing to see pictures and it's like it's cool, but you know, obviously when you see something in real life with your there's nothing more HD than your eyeball. Like that's, it's pretty epic. But that thing was like, we almost, you know, like, Oh, you know, I think somebody might've mentioned like pitch bait and we're like, Mm -hmm. no, let's get our head back in the game. Like we can't (laughs) mess with that. We've got our hands, (laughs) we got our hands full over here with this, but that was such a cool moment. Yeah. And, and Luke like looked at me cause there was still, this was probably an hour in or so. The fish is still taking line out. Like I just thinking, and Luke looks at me, he's like, he's like, man, I don't know what to do. Like, we we're sitting there, and I, I said, hey, like, we've got to, like, just start to do something about this fish. Yeah. So, like, Luke kind of shifted towards the back of the boat. He's sitting right by the helm um, in the harness. And, I mean, literally, being in this harness felt like you were trying to be pulled overboard. It, it wasn't fun. Like, it wasn't fun at all. <laughs> like, no, it was not fun. <laughs> like, you, it felt like you were, like, literally being pulled overboard. Um, because we tested the drag once we got back, and with a full spool, it was showing, I believe, uh, 32 pounds of drag. So when you were stretched out, I mean, like, you were up there. It had to have been a lot. And I don't know, like Luke said, like, I don't know how, like, our 65-pound braid didn't break. I don't know how the leader didn't break. I don't know how the top shot didn't break. Like, it's kind of, it's a miracle, really. But we uh, we started hand-lining the fish. Yeah, because literally because the drag was maxed, uh, we obviously couldn't put it in free spool and just put a couple clicks up. Like, we got a, <laughs> we got a 700-pound weight on the other end. So <laughs> it was literally still clicking. And it's, you know, the, the rod is maxed out like it's bent down to the like the rod is flexed down to the to the you know the grip yeah. um so we had to hand line and there was man of war in the water Jeez. and it wasn't just one or two it was like thousands of man of war jellyfish in the water <laughs> so that was not fun either but we all took turns getting lit up with gloves on you know, like trying to help hand line so that the the guy on the rod could could put some line back on the spool you know, a couple turns at a time. It was an inch game, literally. Yeah. And we all suffered and it was gruel. Like, I mean, it did, it sucked so bad. I was like, in the moment, I'm like, I don't ever want to do this again. <laughs> and then we landed the fish and it was like, every, you know, it, we forgot all about the suck. <laughs> yeah. um, it's probably like a woman having a baby, you know, like they'll like, never again. You know, it's like the worst day of their life. And afterwards, like, oh, that was great. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, a man, that's a dude's version of like having a baby. <laughs> I don't ever want to do that again. Like, oh, wait, yeah, let's do it again. And, and I, I, I remember one of the moments, specifically, uh, probably two and a half hours in or so, I started getting like antsy. And there, you might not remember this, but like I started getting pretty aggressive with like pulling the line like into the reel. So to, to give you guys an idea of what really was happening, so like, you got one guy strapped into this harness. He's got the 50 wide strapped in with him, right? And then the other guy was literally bent over the side of the gunnel, like pull, like grabbing the line with the glove and then pulling his hand up to the rod tip as best he could. Now, now you're talking 65-pound braid. Right. They, I mean, you don't really have much to grab, right? So we ended up starting to try to have two people put their hand on the line. And so I would like, I started getting pretty aggressive, like basically shoving the line, like back into the reel. And Luke was like, Hey, like 
like, hey, be nice, be gentle. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, shoot. And I, I still think about that to this day because if we hadn't, uh, it could have just, it, all it would have taken was a tiny little nick on the side of our rod that, like, touched the line and that, that line was cut. Like, it could have been a little a piece of, like, I don't know, a sticker burr on our glove that could have, like, gone into the braid and, like, that would have been lost fish. So, yeah, because it's under max tension and it's thin. So it's yeah. like, what was that episode that uh, the guy was sort of Ollie? Uh, what's the, uh, it's it's the show. The dude, like he nicked something, he was deep dropping and like his entire rig is gone. Like, yeah. gone. Oh uh, yeah, I saw, he nicked it right on the top of the 50. Yeah. He had those hooker 50s and he was messing with the line up at the spool. Yeah. Local yeah. knowledge. Was it local knowledge? Yeah, oh, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And it kind of, any great, great, uh, little document you know series but yeah it, to that point like there was i think he had a 10 pound weight on there and he was just sword fishing and then something nicked and yeah to that point like it could have taken anything like mm-hmm. a, a sticker a nick on the the guide or who knows touch the hole touch you know? yeah just there were so many things and it was just it was cool to to see that teamwork and just to kind of slow down like hey we got we've got plenty of time uh we just have to take it easy and make it happen yeah we uh and luke and i were like bent over the side of the boat at the time the fish was getting up you know we knew it was coming because the line was obviously on the reel and both luke and i were were now over on the gunnel like picking line up and we knew like hey like we're getting extremely close and like i i I think i have talked myself out of it being a bluefin tuna because it, it's funny because the week, literally the week before, um, I think it was Delinda Lucille that had caught a bluefin with uh, Captain Brian. It was right, it was a dock next door to us, and uh, my mom's boyfriend was home, and he's like, "Yeah, Brian over there, they caught a bluefin," and I was like, "Yeah, that would that probably would never happen to me. Like it's that's that's just a pipe dream, right? It, it's not something that is realistic. Let's just say." Yeah, and, and I'll say that. I mean, you had a free swimming smaller blue marlin come up. I mean, a lot of time you'll see the big females with a little male, that, and yeah. the big female little meat missile down to the bottom, and the male yeah. is coming up like, "What the hell just happened to my That's <laughs> to right. my mate?" <laughs> yeah, we started questioning everything. Like, yeah, what like what is this? Yeah, and so and then like Luke and I are, you know, pulling this thing up, um, which is, it is dead. It it did had died within probably about 45 minutes in, but we didn't find out until within like 30 minutes after that. I would say we stopped messing yeah. with it like, a, like it was alive and then started fighting it like it was dead. Yeah. And um, and I'm expecting like a bill. Like you basically, I'm expecting this bill to be like looking at me and we're about to like, okay, cool, we have a dead blue motor than like that's not it's smart. Like, it's not that cool. Like, it's cooler to, like, hook, catch it, and release it. So, like, I'm not thinking, wow, like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. But then, literally, the closer that fish got, like, you got color, and then it got closer, and then it got closer, and then it got closer. And I'm like, holy crap, that is a tuna. <laughs> it was a giant tuna. 670 pounds. Uh, yeah. And so, uh, once we got it up on the surface, Luke and I are just staring at each other. I mean, it's just one of those moments that you can't really go back to remember because you're just so in the moment and like the adrenaline's high. And we get the boat, there's fish to the side of the boat. 
we stick a gap in his head and then another guy gaffs like near the tail and like pulls it up. A Blake jumped in the water. And and that's when so he's like, trying he's trying to like rope this uh this tail and I was like, dude, just get in the water. Like Yeah. He I, immediately. I, dude, and our buddy Blake jumped right in. Like he just like jumped in the water, roped the tail. Because it was so big we couldn't get the rope on the tail. Yeah. Um which, I mean, we're not cowboys or anything, but uh, I, mean, I mean, for for certainty, Blake got in the water, got the tail without ro- hesitation, roped up, and uh, <laughs> we had two gaps in it, and then uh, we brought it around to the back of the boat. Could everybody ask me like, how do we get this fish on the boat? It's a it's a mystery. So yeah, so it had a small tuna door, but it's so those yellowfin, you know, the, the body lines, they kind of, it's real sleek, you know, kind of like rolls For down sure. into the water. So we had, I think we turned the engines, um, and the tuna door was obviously useless. This is <laughs> yeah, it's was, it's about a foot by a foot. Yeah, it's not not gonna handle this guy. So um, yeah, I think we put a rope through the gill plate and uh, on the head, like around the you know around the gill plate, had a, two gaffs and. Even a rope around that the tail rope, uh, just to help pull. But we just you know adrenaline and you know you know manpower just uh, slid it up over the top into the boat. And I remember when it finally like got that momentum where it was sliding in, like it 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 almost well it didn't almost it borderline crushed my leg in between the live well, and it was almost bad. But it was like whoo that hurt, but it wasn't like it didn't break my leg. But I. I thought like, wow, dude, this there's is... a massive tuna in the boat I, now. So it's like, I'll worry about that <laughs> this later. Is a serious <laughs> fish. Like, yeah. And I, I just, I, so we had, uh, I think one rope on the tail and we pulled, like, these were dock lines. These weren't like real, I mean, this is just kind of roped it around one on the tail. We had two through the mouth. Yeah, that's right. And I, I mean, I remember thinking like, okay, we're going to have to go to this rig over here. And the rig is going to find, like, there's going to be somebody that's fishing the rig that's going to help us get this fish on. And all of a sudden, like, I just hear, like, one, two. I'm like, I guess I better go get ready. And, like, just, like, oh, yanking that thing over. Um, And it was, I mean, we had, this is something that's very highly overlooked, but we had a fish bag that could handle this fish ready to go on the boat. That's right. And that fish was iced to death. I mean, we iced this fish extremely hard. And a lot of times you catch fish in the Gulf and they don't taste very good. And so this one tasted phenomenal. Yeah, it was epic. And so that I think the two things happened. We It died pretty quick, but it died at the bottom of the spool. You know, we'd almost gotten spooled for a second time. So that water down you know that at that depth is much cooler than at the surface and it got to spend a lot of time down there so i feel like that water helped cool that you know that tuna body off which they generate a lot of heat we all know that but i feel like it got to cool down on its way up and thank the lord there was no sharks because that would have been a disaster but so we got the fish up whole and your dad had bought that fish bag and was like, one day we're going to need this. And it was massive. Like this is blue Marlin kill bag. Yeah. It's like, what in the world? You know, we're, we're on a center console and that center console, that 36 yellowfin, it, to this day, I, I, that thing holds more ice than any, oh even any sport fish I've seen. Like that, that boat held a tremendous amount of ice. It, it, you could, that coffin box in the floor yeah. underneath it wow if, if you really wanted to we um so like from 
the bow of the boat, we had a forward ice box, which was, you know, in the bow of the boat. So this doesn't have any forward seating. So it was just a forward ice box in the deck. And right behind the forward ice box, there was a coffin box on top of the deck. And then, which was, that's where we kept all of our drinks. Uh-huh. And, and then underneath the coffin box, we had another coffin box. I would, at least I would consider it a coffin box. That yeah, thing was huge. huge. Like massive. So, and then obviously as you make your way back down to the deck, we had yeah, two more. We had two more ice box or kill boxes in the back. Uh, and we would, we would quite literally empty two extremely large commercial ice makers every time we went, every time we did one of those trips. And it was on this trip that like we had more ice than we, we needed. Like, like that boat held ice and it didn't melt. Like none of it melted. Yeah, that's no. a blessing. Yeah. That's a blessing. Yeah. I'm, I'm dealing with melting ice right now. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a battle. It's tough. Yeah. It's tough. And I, I just know that when we put that fish bag down, um, we didn't bleed the fish out, which I guess is it's fine, but we hung it and we waited. We wanted to weigh it. Yeah. Uh, but once we got home, it was probably, it was too late for the scale. And we then we dumped even more ice on it. And then we tightened the bag up even a bit longer. So, I mean, that fish stayed on ice for a good, like, 12 hours. That was the best decision, by the way. Because we had debated, like, just cleaning it right then and there. It was like, you know, it was late. We got back, I don't know, 11 o'clock, midnight. I don't know. It was late. It was. And we're like, well, do we clean it now? But we wanted to weigh it. And that was the ultimate. That's why we didn't bleed it. That's why we didn't, like, we really wanted to weigh it. That was a fish of a lifetime, and I'm glad we did. But that was the best decision, too, to to wait and to kind of get our ducks back in a row, re- regroup, bring bring the cavalry of coolers that, you know, we needed <laughs> Just all the, all the things that yeah. were required to clean a fish like that. For sure. And I, I still laugh. This is important to me. It's not important, but I still laugh to this day because you know you see some of these videos like the Japanese cleaning these bluefin, and it is a science. Like it is, you know, they have spoons down to the the body cavity and they're scraping, you know, every, you know, just micro ounce of fish. Yeah, we didn't clean that fish like that. <laughs> <laughs> we were like, hey, we've been up. For a hot minute you know we got to go back and sleep but we just we just cleaned the fish and like the amount of we I, I wouldn't say we wasted the fish by any means like we got we got the meat but we weren't scraping it with spoons like the next day you know the sun was out um you know we even how we kind of try to create some shade and keep the fish ice like we did the best we could but we're not in a you know air-conditioned kitchen with a samurai sword um and like <laughs> a thousand knives we had a beautiful knife collection thanks to steven but uh we uh, we we made it work, but there was, I was like these Japanese guys would die if they saw what, like we're throwing you know we're throwing huge scrap pieces to like the blue heron on the dock and you know throwing carcasses in the water and they would die you know with the amount that, of that heron still remembers that meal. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, hey guys, yeah, you got me again. Can I do that again? Yeah, we uh, we a sawzall. That was our um, claim to fame. Yeah. We just had to had to use something that was strong enough to hit the head off. It worked. It, it really good. did, and uh, that's it was probably one of the the fish that like I personally like will never forget. And I'm, I'm really um, grateful for that trip and to be able to have a 
the crew of people on the boat that I loved and that we all got along. We all vibe really well. And like Luke said, like during the tournament, like when you're having fun, but you're also very serious at the same time, like that is really hard to find. That is hard to find. Because you either find like the guys who want to have a lot of fun and just go offshore and kind of goof off. Then you have the guys who are like way too serious about it to where it's like not fun to fish with them. And to find that perfect medium, like that, that's like what that crew was. Yeah. And uh, and Luke, what I wanted to just like kind of continue the conversation, but what did the future for fishing look like for you? Like, what's what's something that's really uh, on your mind that you want to accomplish as a fisherman? That's a great question. Um, I haven't really thought about that in a while. So oh, that's a good question, man. Um, you know, I guess plan plan one is uh, to try to get back on bird dog and link up with those guys again and, and, and repeat that, uh, whether it's repeat that success, which is obviously always the goal or just the biggest thing is to have fun, right? Like we're going to, that's, the, that's why we go. We don't, you know, we don't go to, yeah, we go to, we want to catch big fish. That's always the goal, but, um, there's more to it than that. You know, it's just being out. That's why we get this, the, the, the investment of time and money is to enjoy ourselves. So, uh, definitely want to link back up with those guys. Um, I want to get back into the day. So I've kind of taken a break from daytime sword fishing for no, you know, no real reason. Just, well, I sold my boat that had an influence. Um, I'll get another one. That's, it was, it was, the timing was right to sell it. So I sold it. So now I don't have, you know, I don't have my own ride, which there's plenty of guys that we can go with, you know, sitting here in a room with guys that have boats. Uh, but you know, then you're at the mercy of their schedule versus yours and co the coordination and not to say it won't work. It's just, it's different when you can, Hey, on this day I'm going, whether it's me and you know, you, or whether it's me, I still want to do a solo trip by the way. Uh, but it's, it's more, it's more fun with friends, but I don't know. So I'll, I'll get another boat at some point. I'm not in any hurry uh, to do that, but I, I want to get back into daytime sword fishing. Um, that's, that's a lot of fun. And it's, I've just, I've taken a pretty big break from it. And again, it's not like I was tired of it or it's just kind of the way life's kind of played out a little bit. And, uh, I want to get back into that. I, mean, I would say that, that, that was probably your first passion when you yeah. really took the lead Yeah. on figuring something out. Yeah. And I, and so it kind of happened by default because, so my boat, I set it up for trolling uh, it was a it's a it was a 256 a dusky for those listening it was a classic dusky 256 you know or the modern you know 28 27 and a half uh, foot boat great platform ton of room but i set it up to troll out there at the spur that was kind of how i learned to fish out there was to troll in the daytime uh you drift at night drop some sword baits and then go back to trolling in the daytime uh, the next morning so that was kind of how i was had set up for and that's kind of what got me into sword fishing was just hey we're going to do it at night time until we control again in the next the next day and then kind of the daytime world opened up like hey you can do this in the daytime it's just a lot more technical and it's a totally different ball game but uh not to go back down that rabbit hole again but uh yeah that, that i got really passionate about it through by default like i there was something about the swordfish that were really cool um just they're addicting know. yeah they are <laughs> Because yeah. it's, uh, you know, how, when was the first time that you decided to go daytime sword fishing? Because I don't think it was me. I don't think it was with me. And I remember, I, I should, for those of y'all listening, I was in college, 
Then I moved to New York City for three years. So for a while, I was just like back and forth. I didn't get a chance to fish with Luke as much as I wanted. But once I heard he started daytiming, like I wanted to go the next time I was back in town. But I never heard the story of that, you know, that first trip and when you got started. I don't remember. I, there was a I th- Kevin Barry was on that trip. Jimmy Carter from work, and there might have been one other guy from work. It was a it was a small crew. It was early spring. It was kind of just as the weather was starting to get right, and I didn't, you know, I had a little bit of an idea of what I was doing. I'd done a lot of research, but I'd never done it. So it was kind of like, hey, I told you know, I told the guys like I'm, I want to try something new here. I want to spend a lot of time doing it. You know, it, it could be horrible. I don't know. It, to my, we didn't get a bite. You know, I think I got attacked by some squid down at the bottom. My bait came up all mangled. I remember I took a picture. It's like, oh, we got bit. You know, like I was so pumped. Like now, looking back, like that wasn't a bite. That was, I think, squid or something getting on that bait and kind of messing it up. But you know, the rod was wrong. Uh, there, everything was wrong. But you got to start somewhere, right? Like, you can't just go out there and get it. Um, but hindsight. There's a lot more information out there now. You can certainly set yourself up better than than I did, but I I think the allure of just being that it was so technical. I started looking around and like hearing about it. And there really wasn't a lot of information out, so that excited me. The challenge, um, the challenge of hey, this can be done, but the challenge that 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 to me was what I remember being excited about is this is going to be hard, uh, therefore. I want to do it. It's uh, you get honed in. Oh, boy, do you ever. And, and it's, that's like, to me, is the ultimate way of fishing. Like, when you're honed in and you're trying to learn about fishing, like, that's why I started this company because it's, like, I love it so much. I want to be, up, like, in the detail. Like, uh, around it all the time. Yeah. And, and I, I, I sometimes I even say to myself, I think maybe I've, maybe that passion like goes up and down every now and then like because you know new things come into your life but like once you start talking about it once you start saying wow like actually like i still really like love it so that's a great um you know a great thing you just said is kind of something i've been thinking about just in general in life uh so i have uh, a, a bit of ocd which is good and bad but i get really uh, obsessed with things and when I get obsessed with something it's it's all in it's like all I can think about all I can that's all that's all I think about and my wife has said m- multiple times like you're crazy like you are crazy you know whether it's swordfish or fishing in general it's it's reading it's videos it's rigging tech like whatever it's just like that's that's all I can do you know just I'm just so focused um and that's, that's how that, that endeavor was and fishing in general. But, you know, I got, I got sidetracked a little bit this last maybe year or so with some other stuff. So I'm, maybe that's had a play in why I haven't sword fished much or haven't really fished a ton. Still been out there, obviously, didn't, didn't you know, did the tournament circuit and do some fun fishing. But, um, yeah, we got their seasons, I guess. Of And it's how, it's fun how life kind of guides you through because, it, you know, both Luke and I and Joe are believers. We like have like faith in in Christ. We know that like our pa- our paths are always just going in and out of different places, right? And we we don't know why, we don't know how, but we kind of are like, wow, like life is incredible. Like it's uh it's one of those things that you know it's more than fishing. Obviously, we can get crazy about fishing, 
but it's like as long as you're like living it to the fullest and like you're to me there's there's no better thing to be a hundred than to be a hundred percent yeah like i i'm either like all in or i'm all out like because i'm not i'm not about to do like 20 percent on a few different things yeah if you went sword fishing with 20 percent of the stuff you would be (laughs) way behind way behind i mean and, and this isn't to like knock anybody but like it it literally pains my soul when i see i mean maybe it's someone who's just getting started but like it pained my soul to see somebody in a really nice boat you know at the rig but they don't have any outriggers on their boat like like you're just thinking like hey like let's be intentional about this like let's actually focus like let's figure out the details and obviously i don't know everybody's stories on the water but i take it so seriously that it's like it's just part of who I am. It's just part of like the, the red that's like woven in myself of like, I can't do anything like half percent. And I'm always thinking about like, how can I make this better? Yeah. Well, that's sure. just how we're wired. I mean, that's, and that's why we're successful at whatever it is we put our mind to is it might be a journey to get there, but by golly, I'm not, I'm not getting, I'm not going into this like half cocked. It's like, if I'm going to do something, Hey, let's do it. Like, that doesn't mean you're going to be great. No, but it means I gave it, it means I gave it my entire effort, you know, a hundred, hundred percent of, of what I have. And if it didn't work out, well, I certainly tried my best. And that's what my mom and dad, I'll never forget. I was just talking about this the other day. My mom and dad always would tell me, you know, I'd get discouraged as a kid with whatever it was, academics or sports or whatever. And they're like, Luke, we don't care about the outcome as long as you give your best. If you give your best, that's, you can't do any more than your best. That's why it's your best. But so if you're unsuccessful after you get, after you gave something your best, that's okay. Like learn from it, maybe, maybe adapt, maybe move on or learn from it and do it again. You know, the try, try, try again. So those were just so, just such simple words that stuck with me for, you know, forever. Um, This, it doesn't, it doesn't always have to mean it's going to work out, but give it your best. Like, and I believe in that strongly and clearly I'll do too. So yeah, that's huge for sure. I think I got one more question for you, Luke. Uh, it's just like, what is that one day out there or that one trip that made you realize like, this is what I love to do. And like, this is, this is my passion. Uh, it, you know, that's a, probably a, a twofold answer. Um, I knew something was wrong with me when uh, the very first time I really went offshore fishing, it was uh, it was a red snapper trip of all things. It was with my brother-in-law on a 28-foot scout, and it was opening day over in Panama City, and that's that's a big day. You know, it's a big day here. Obviously, sure. it's like all the the circus comes out and everybody's going snapper fishing, and it's it's fun. But so I had you know that was my first introduction to really adult like quote-unquote deep sea fishing you know it's like everyone yeah. likes to call it um but it was rough i think it was six to eight feet and we're in a 28 foot boat oh and i had a blast <laughs> i think i think everybody on the boat was sick other than my brother-in-law you know there's one guy puking the other guy's curled up green in the corner like and we stayed out there like these these we didn't come in like it was grinded out it was a grinded out and got the limit and it was rough and i just loved it like had the biggest smile on my face and those guys were the ones like there's something wrong with you man like (laughs) this is your first time you know 
fishing and you had fun, I'm like, oh man, I think let's go again. <laughs> and I, you know, we came back to the dock and there was a guy in like a 33 foot Grady White. And he's like, man, I stuffed the bow coming out of the pass and turned around. He's like, and I saw you, you guys like hadn't like still go like y'all are crazy. So that was probably like, uh, everyone kind of could see like, oh, this guy might be doomed. He's, he had fun doing that. And then that, you know, that first blue water trip I talked about that was successful. Sure. That was, that was, I'd done several blue water trips prior to that, but, and we had some success, but that was like a, a smash. That was a smash. Uh, and it was, that was uh, highlighted in my mind. Uh, just, it was so fun. You know, we had two billfish and a ton of mahi and yeah. saw, you know, blue marlin, you know, uh, you know, tail walking, you know, just free, free jumping out there. So, and it, so. it was cool. It was an incredible trip. That was my first like overnight trip on a sport fish boat and so what, many factors. What boat was that on? It was a Bertram. It was a 41 Bertram. My uncle used to own it. Gotcha. He sold it years I, ago. But I think I saw the, the YouTube video you made on that one. Yeah. The drug money, right? Drug money. That's drug it. He was money. a pharmacist. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, it's a cool, cool boat name too. But yeah, that trip was huge uh, in a lot of ways. And I got to see guys that, you know, were highly skilled and just saw everything come together. I was like, this is, it's awesome. this is special. So yeah. Sure I, I remember uh, when you were talking about getting beat um, on the snapper trip. There's just, there's just a, a vivid memory just ingrained in my head where uh, I think we were coming back from a sword fishing trip and we got caught in some kind of eastern east wind in the Gulf, which makes it like super choppy. But Luke was next to me on the uh, like starboard side of the boat. So like, it's getting pounded, right? <laughs> but this elephant has like a half windshield. So, I mean, we're, we're ducking, we're diving, but like obviously you can't avoid the water after you, when you get start getting an east wind and a model ball. But uh, Luke is just dying laughing. Like he's getting sprayed every three seconds, but he's just like cracking up. And I, I'll, I'll never forget that. I took a video of a day and like, you could see the boat just like totally rocking like up and down the wave when we were trying to take a pee break. So that sounds about right. Yeah, it's like getting you sprayed with a pressure washer <laughs> and still smiling about it. Like, yeah, this is cool. <laughs> you, you just gotta be, you just gotta be a little crazy to do that for sure. But um, hey, Luke, it's it's good to have you on the podcast. Um, Same. It's been it's been a pleasure, but um, but. We want to thank everybody here for listening to uh, the Weird Map Turns Blue podcast. Uh, give us a subscribe wherever you're listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.